Well done, excellent, and very worshipful. Certainly have been blessed already by that worship time. Let's take a moment again to, to uh, come to the Lord. Father, we are grateful, so grateful for what we have in you, what we know of you, what you've revealed of yourself to us. We thank you for the way that you have taken uh, us, uh, made us part of your family, made us part of your people, that uh, we might follow you, Father, that uh, humble as we are, you have blessed us with your great blessings, spiritual uh, blessings and righteousness and love. And so we are together this morning coming to you to learn more of what you say about ourselves and what you want us to be and what you want us to do. We ask that your spirit would guide and direct us as we study these thoughts together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you have read the Narnia Narnia Chronicles? Uh, Anybody hasn't? Good, you'll know what I'm speaking about. So, the story about Prince Caspian, if you remember, was the story of a young boy prince who uh, was threatened by his uncle who was going to usurp the throne. Caspian had to flee and join forces with the uh, people of Narnia to, uh, to battle his evil uncle. Um, towards the end of the story we read about Aslan's uh, instruction as to why it is that Narnia needs to be ruled by a person uh, of human descent and, and he tells Prince Caspian of his ancestry so it turns out that Prince Caspian's ancestors were a group of pirates that sailed the South Seas, but were marooned on an island. They uh, killed the natives and took their women and continued to drink and carouse and fight among themselves. And one group of these island, of these men and their women were, were forced to flee and they fled into a cave and magically it was a connection to the world of Narnia. And they came into that land where they immediately started to uh, conquer more nations and they conquered Narnia and they went on to uh, uh, to the type of people that they were and and um, Prince Caspian says well I'd rather hope that I would have a, a better ancestry you know that I would be uh, come from greater stock than this group of pirates and uh, and their uh, drunkenness and carousing and fighting but Aslan says to Prince Caspian You come of the Lord Adam and the Lady Eve, said Aslan. And that is both honor enough to erect the head of the poorest beggar and shame enough to bow the shoulders of the greatest emperor on earth. Be content. So there is something very noble about our humanity. There's also something very troubling or wrong 
with our humanity. And so that's our task this morning is to just take a look at humanity and what it is to be a human. What does it mean to be human? And what are we instructed through that humanity? So what are humans? What constitutes a human? How are they defined? This is a branch of study known as anthropology, and I'm not one of those, but I will try. There is a part of humans that I am a little more familiar with. That's the, the biological part of humans. I've made that my kind of my career, my life study, to, to look at humans and to figure out how they tick and what makes them sick and uh, how to make them better. And I'm only partly involved in that process, but at least I feel a little bit qualified to speak about that area of humanity. And it's a vast area of study as well, and amazingly complex. The psalmist says in one, Psalm 139.14, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and that's quite correct. So as a species, we call ourselves homo sapiens. I think that's the knowing ones, or the wise ones. Funny that we named ourselves that. I don't know uh, how we got away with that. But overall, we've been quite a successful species if you look at how far we've spread around the world and how vast is our, our impact on the world, if you call that success. And as a species, there's like the people in front of you, there's a considerable variety of, of uh, appearances, um, lots of different... Uh, uh, shapes, sizes, uh, colors. Uh, but if you want to take my word for it, and I didn't bring any pictures of this to prove it, but once you get through the skin, they all look pretty much the same inside. <laughs> and there are many features that, that our species shares with other species. We have similar anatomy, we have similar physiology, heart and lungs, eyes and brains. We all need oxygen, water, and food. There's a lot uh, to be said. We're made male and female, and our reproduction is similar. Even our genetics, remarkably, as we've looked over the last few years now that we can do genetic uh, typing and genetic studies, have been remarkably similar to many other species, and we share a lot of common genetic material. So we live and we die. And that we share with all other species as well. Now, many believe that that's all there is to humanity. All our behaviors and our abilities, our thoughts, our processes, are a result of biological processes, neurological connections. You know, all of those things are, are, that, are all that goes to make us who we are. And really, there's not any real other distinctions from other species except for the few sort of unique biological differences and the small bit of genetic code that we share, that we have a different from others. And they believe, many, that the origin of our species was quite independent of anything else, that uh, there was a process over long periods of time that, uh, that made us into who we are. And there's quite a bit of scientific study in that area that would support the prolonged process. Is that all there is 
Or is there more than that to being human? Well, I would say there's some evidence, evidence, some at least uh, things that would make us think about this, the possibility that there's more to us than that. And uh, this is where a theologian would be more the right person to talk to, and I'm not one of those, but uh, I don't see anybody else that really has that qualification in our audience, so I'm probably okay to keep going. <laughs> but there is evidence that there exists in humans something more than just those biological processes that I'm more familiar with. For example, when we look at other cultures and other peoples and look at our own people, that you will see that spirituality or religiosity or all, whatever you want to call it is part of almost every people group. I put up a picture here of some representative gods of a country in uh, Indonesia, in Java. But that's fairly typical of cultures around the world, that there's something that makes them want to worship something beyond themselves. There are the rituals that they perform, funerals that uh, lead to the idea that there's something more, there's something after this life. People pray, people worship, and they try and serve and appease something beyond themselves. So that's one little piece of evidence that might lead us to think that. There are other things like concepts that don't really exist apart from something outside ourselves. If you think about good and evil, they have no meaning if there's just a biological thing. There's, those, those terms actually need something outside of, of the biological world to, to define them. We have consciousness. We think. We think about ourselves. We think about others. We ponder. What is our purpose? Why did we have that question if there wasn't anything beyond ourselves? And so that idea of consciousness and personality. We are connected people. Why do we have personality if there is no other person out there? We have in ourselves things that might think us think that we also have more in us than what meets the eye. And we kind of think about things like sunset or the beautiful scenery and we feel awe and wonder. And why is that? Why do we find that these things cause us to think and ponder something else, something greater? And then sometimes we feel an emptiness. Sometimes we feel that we aren't complete or sometimes we feel that there's more. And we desire some sort of purpose and meaning. But why should there be any if, if we're just uh, cells and tissue. So, from those clues that we have that there's something more, we have what we have is the Bible, and other other people claim other things, but you can gather from the name that we call ourselves in this group of humans that are gathered together, Bible Fellowship Assembly, that the Bible is kind of an important document for us to learn from. So we find in the Bible what we believe is God and other beings interaction with humans. 
And it's an important story and account of that interaction, and we can learn much from it. And we learn much about ourselves by studying and learning what the, the scriptures have to tell us. So an alternate view to the one that there was nothing beyond biology is that the, the species was the work of an outside agency that it, it had a, plan, a purpose and a plan for us. And that definitely means that there's more to us than would meet the eye, that we can see, that we can touch, that we can investigate scientifically. The biblical account of, or, of our origin makes it quite clear that there was a creator at work and that there was a purpose for that work. In the first book of the Bible, in, in the first chapter, in verse 26, we read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in numbers. Fill the earth and subdue it. The only command we've ever really obeyed. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over everything and every living creature that moves on the ground. So we find from the scriptures that there is a purpose for humanity and science is not equipped to investigate that aspect of humanity. We depend on the revelation that we receive from God to determine what else constitutes humans. But, as I was saying earlier, there are clues that there is more, but the scriptures tell us a more complete story. So the first part of our uh, being is, is what we would call, I would call the material part, the, the biological. This part is the spiritual or the immaterial part of being. And, and if you pick up the Bible and read through it, you're going to find that this idea of, of the spirit and soul and um, things that, uh, of that nature, and the theologians have lots of terms for, for these descriptions, you'll find it quite common in the Bible to be referred to. Just a few examples. We'll read on in the second uh, chapter of, uh, of the Bible. And it says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Just to focus on that word breath, uh, in, the, in the scriptures, the word breath and spirit are, are the same. And in a sense, this is, I think, telling us that God gave humans a spirit. Something that's not material, something that's exists apart from the material part that has an existence that continues even when the material part decays. We find in the scriptures if we read through it and just a few highlights of, of this information of this topic, but that worship for God, that communication with God depends on that spiritual, that immaterial part of us. John chapter four, verse twenty four, Jesus says, God is spirit. And his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. 
And certainly we read that, that he created us in his image, and so he, it's reasonable that we also have spirit as well as God. He, he tells us, in, uh, uh, in, we're told in Romans 8 by the Apostle Paul, that the spirit at work, it, communicating with our spirit, Romans 8, 16 says, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And then the idea that the spirit lives on after the body dies, this is an experience of uh, Stephen as he was uh, giving up his life for his faith in Christ. It says in Acts 7:59, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Humans are, are made in this image of God, and God has gifted this image to humans. Not a physical gift, really. It's not that we look like God in our physical sense, but we are spiritually endowed by God. Being in his image is a, is a complex and fascinating topic to, this, uh, to investigate, too, and a lot of writing has been on, put on that if you're theologically minded and you like reading that there's lots of material but one of the things that his image was is that the, the kings and rulers of old would, would uh, stamp their image on their coins and say that's there that represents me that's my authority and we are uh, his representatives in this world we're also his stewards we rule in his place in, in sort of by our ruling over the world as he told us in Genesis 1 that we are his uh, under-rulers, his stewards. He gives us our identity by our image. We are, are distinct from other, other species in the world. We have the image of God. And we are, in his image, like father and son. He is our father and we are his children. It's our belief then from looking at the scriptures and from examining our hearts and our lives and looking at the world around us that we are both physical and spiritual in nature and that we've been created by God for a purpose. So what's wrong with humanity? Why are we the way we are? And you don't have to read very far into the news listen to it very long or to look back in history very far to find stories of atrocities of people committing terrible acts on other people terror attacks murders rapes wars conflict that's in the news every day even close to home we find political corruption deceit racism poverty child abuse domestic disputes addiction theft lies greed and even fighting a hockey game. <laughs> so we're, we're all part of this uh, kind of problem. There's, there's something about humanity that's not right. It should be, uh, should be different, I would think, since we're created by God for a purpose. What's wrong with us? Why are we like this? story in the scriptures quickly uh, Going into the third chapter of the book of the Bible, we find that there was a. We're introduced to the first uh, named humans that we meet, Adam, whose name really means male human, and he 
and his wife were given a choice. They were placed in a beautiful garden where God would visit them, God's presence was. They were told, told to care for the garden and they were given instructions that, that they could enjoy all of the garden except for this fruit of one tree. There were two trees that were mentioned there, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, we know the story. They chose to choose, they chose the path that they were forbidden to choose, that they were, that was going against God's plan. And God said that if you choose that path, you will die. And so that resulted in the death of their spiritual heart. They didn't immediately drop dead physically, but their spirit died within them. And that means that their spirit was separated from God, and God put a barrier so they could no longer get to the tree of life. So they were cast out of the garden, and they made their choice. We read in the next chapter that their son, Cain, came to another choice. He had to choose what, how he was going to serve God when he chose a different way than God had instructed. His, his offering was rejected. He was jealous of his brother and he murdered his brother. So already by the third person that we meet in the Bible, we're into the murdering and, uh, and that sort of downward spiral that we find ourselves in today. But it's not just them. Every one of us has gone on to make a choice that's not according to what God would have wanted us to do. We're all guilty of that. And it doesn't matter if we do some good, nice things, uh, humanitarian things or humane things, whatever those words mean, because when we're looking at humans, we're not all that good, and humanitarian and humane doesn't really describe us very well. But we've all made choices that have been opposed to what God wanted us to do, and so we've all made that choice of the, the death pathway, the pathway that separates us from God. And that other name for that is the Bible called sin. It's the choice of choosing our own way, our selfish way, rather than God's way. You might say, that's our nature. It's our sin nature. And our choice results in this separation from God. Isaiah 59, verse 2 to 13 a bit of a, of a description of where we are because of the choices we've made. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt, your lips have spoken lies, and your tongue mutters wicked things. No one calls for justice, no one pleads his case with integrity. They rely on empty arguments and speak lies. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil. They hatch the eggs of vipers and spin a spider's web. Whoever eats their eggs will die, and when one is broken, an adder is hatched. Their cobwebs are useless for clothing. They cannot cover themselves with what they make. Their deeds are evil, and, and acts of violence are in their hands. Their feet rush into sin. They are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are evil. Thoughts, ruin and destruction mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their path. They have turned them into crooked roads. No one who walks in them will know peace. 
So justice is far from us, and righteousness does not reach us. We look for light, but all is darkness, for brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. Like the blind, we grope along the wall, feeling our way like men without eyes. At midday we stumble, as if it were twilight. Among the strong, we are like the dead. We all growl like bears, we mourn mournfully like doves. We look for justice, but find none. For deliverance, but it is far away. For our offenses are many in your sight, and our sins testify against us. Our offenses are ever with us, and we acknowledge our iniquities. Rebellion and treachery against the Lord, turning our backs on God, fomenting opposition and revolt, uttering lies our hearts have conceived. Pretty dim picture of what we're like. I wore black this morning because it's kind of a down top. <laughs> Paul says in his words, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. But, we are spiritually dead, but not without hope. So I wore red. <laughs> we can't rescue ourselves. We're like this person in the cot in the, in the undertow in the ocean, going down, and there's no way we have the strength to swim back. But we have a lifeguard. God has not given up on us. He has come to our rescue. So part of being human means that we are loved by God. That's an amazing part of being human. He did create us. He's a God of second chances. Even though we've turned our back on him numerous times, he still loves us. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why. So that no one needs to be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust him has long since been under death, the death sentence, without knowing it. So the Bible clearly states that, that God loves humans. Again, we read in Ephesians 2, It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old, stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief, and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us, doing what we felt like doing, when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy, and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own, with no help from us. Our lifeguard came and rescued us. He sent his son, who was our lifeguard, who, who came to, to die for us. And we read in Romans 5, 8, But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the book of Believe, you will read, a, if you're following along, a, a bunch of passages that, that in John's Gospel that whoever and all, whoever and all. And this is just one of those passages. And through Jesus, God is offering us a second chance. 
to choose that tree of life that was rejected. John 6, 47-51 says, I'm telling you the most solemn and sober truth. Whoever believes in me has real life, eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna, bread in the desert, and died. But now here is the bread that truly comes down out of heaven. Anyone eating this bread will not die, ever. I am the bread, living bread, who came out of heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live, and forever. The bread I present to the world, uh, so that it can eat and live, is myself. This flesh and blood self. In other words, we didn't take the opportunity to eat the fruit of the tree of life, but we do can and have, I hope, taken the opportunity to eat of the bread of life, the one who came to rescue us. One more thought, uh, and that, well, if this is who we are, and that God loves us, then we have a responsibility as we look around us, in our room around us, that we are all like that. We are all loved by God. We all have a potential to be the people God wants us to be. And we have a duty and responsibility to help one another become and to reach that full potential. The definition, uh, so in other words, humans should be humane. The definition of humane is having or showing compassion. And that's exactly what God did for us. And since we are made in his image, I think it would be reasonable for us to show compassion and show love to others around us. Because everyone has that potential to be like, uh, like Christ. Jesus reminded us that there's a, a second great commandment to love our neighbors as ourselves. And to love requires compassion and sacrifice, just as God did for us. We need to see the potential in people. A few weeks ago, Eve Luan sent me a text with this quote in it, and I was impressed by it. And uh, we started with C.S. Lewis this morning in Narnia. This is out of The Weight of Glory. It may be possible for each to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter. It is hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talked to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and corruption such as you now meet at all, only, if at all, only in your nightmares. All day long we are in some degree helping each other to one of these destinations. It is in this light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all love, all play, all politics. These are not ordinary people. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. We've been charged with loving our neighbors and making disciples of people. In order to sustain our lives and to experience that new life, we will have to continue to feed on the one who gave himself for us, that, that uh, bread of life. And we'll have to demonstrate God's deep love for all humankind.
going to ask the uh, music team to come and uh, help us sing How Deep the Father's Love for Us. The Father's love is vast beyond all measure that He gave His only Son to make a wretch, a deeply disturbed and broken human, His treasure. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that we have such a lifeguard, such a Savior, one who came out of his deep love and rescued us from what we needed. We thank you for the opportunity together to study your word and we pray that it might uh, impact our hearts, that our lives might be an impact on the world around us. Those who are our neighbors, even if they be our enemies, would feel your love through us. In Jesus' name, amen.